Welcome to the Association of Child Protection Professionals podcast, a weekly podcast where we, alongside guest hosts, share with you the latest in child and family news. Every week, we invite safeguarding professionals with expertise in either research or practice to give us their perspective on the weekly news and stories relating to children and families. There has never been a more important time to keep up with safeguarding news. But with the government regulation changing daily, we realise that not all frontline professionals for adults and children have time to do so. That is why we've created these podcasts to give you what you need to stay informed. Today, we have a special episode for you. In these special episodes, we take a more focused look at a singular issue relating to child or family safeguarding that you need to know about. These are often specific and urgent, so we are taking the time with the professionals at the forefront of this issue. But first, let's hear a few words from the AOCPP's team. Hello, I'm Tyra from the AOCPP team, and I'm here to tell you about our free membership trial starting this month. The AOCPP is offering a free membership trial between the 31st of May and the 31st of August this year. We realise that the next few months will continue to put pressure on child protection professionals, particularly those working on the front line, and that's why we're opening our resources to as many of you as possible. Those who sign up for membership will receive online access to our highly respected journal, The Child Abuse Review, discounted entry to our future events, workshops and conferences, access to our virtual webinar this August on abusive head trauma, as well as much more. To sign up for your free membership and for more information, go to childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk forward slash join. Hello, I'm Wendy Thurgood, Chair of the Association of Child Protection Professionals and your host for today. In this episode, I'll be talking to Sheila Taylor, the CEO of the National Working Group for Sexual Exploitation, commonly known as NWG, about how our organisations are supporting members at this time It is important now more than ever to collaborate with other organisations. So I'm glad to be chatting with Sheila to understand how our organisations are responding to COVID-19. I hope you enjoy this episode. So hi, Sheila. Thank you for joining us today. Would you like to introduce yourself and about your organisation? Hi, I'm Sheila and I'm the CEO of the NWG Network. So for those of you that don't know the NWG, we are an exploitation response unit and we have a website with more than 1400 resources uh, within it that are pieces of research, that are tools and programs that might help you to do the work you might need to do around child exploitation. I started this work in 1998 when I met a mum whose daughter was exploited sexually and there was very little help and support or even understanding about the issues that they faced at that time. In 2005, I took over the organisation as the CEO And one of the first objects of my work was to try and make agencies understand the issues that young people faced in more depth than they did at that time. In 2009, we began work on Operation Retriever, which completed with the court cases in 2010 
seeing nine men go to prison for the rape of 28 girls and having substantial prison sentences across those 11 people. That's the whole point of the NWG network now, is not directly working with young people, but ensuring that professionals get it right or make the best response they can to the information that they have around children and young people. Yeah, Sheila, that's key that- to the ethos of what our association of child protection professionals is all about. It's not the direct work. It's making sure that the frontline practitioners actually yeah. have the resources and skills to be able to carry out the job. Just listening to you there shares my sort of introduction. I mean, right from the beginning of my training, I came in contact with some quite high level cases as a nurse. But what really got my interest was working with street workers to reduce the harm and death to the unborn at the time when HIV was rife. And I started a project where we took our services to them. So we knew that what would be coming through the door on our special care regional unit to try and reduce the death. So very similar, you know, it was something that wasn't seen and acknowledged as a problem that needed a research-based evidence to actually make a difference and a change. And it's a project that I'm really proud to say is still running now, but not at the same intensity, which is why I'm drawn to working in the field that we're doing. So you in your field and our association, as I say, it's to offer the practitioners that they have this resource, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And so for organisations such as ours, it's how we can keep the sort of motivation and the willingness to actually be a member of either ours or your organisation and how we can do that, particularly at a time like now when it's needed even more. Um, because yes. we because we both know that situations where people are locked in their homes or locked with a violent partner or in, a, in an entrapment situation, it's only going to be more impossible for them, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we've got two cohorts of young people within this COVID environment is that you've got those young people that probably feel safer because they're at home. Yeah. Um, but then there'll be a cohort of young people that feel less safe, not necessarily due to the family situation, but the fact that they still have to go or feel they have to go when called by the people that are controlling them. And what that means for them, especially when they return home and they're perhaps not given access to the home because they've not been social distanced in and those sorts. So I think we've got we've got a whole host of bits and pieces going on. Yeah, it's throwing up a different challenges, isn't it? Definitely. For for our organisation, we're trying to make it more accessible for people to become members. So we're having a campaign at the moment to actually offer a free membership for three months so that would broaden it to other professionals who maybe haven't heard of our organizations um, so that's that's one thing that we're doing because it would give them free access to professionals and if we were to link together so our, our websites have that interaction um, people would be able to get those benefits across the board and so does that we- sound something that you'd be interested in We've already started that. So yeah. we're doing it incrementally because we're, we're a team of 11 people, including our admin, um, whereas your organisation is quite a bit bigger. So we, we started last week. We've not called it um, free. We, yeah. we've, called an, we've called it an introductory offer. Yes. Yeah. Three-month yeah. introductory offer in the hope that people might then continue with the membership. 
yeah um, just to clarify that's what we'll be doing as well yes and i i think i think that's important to do at this stage because i think we all we're all in a moral dilemma aren't we in yeah. so much as that we want we want to help people the best we can but we also have to future proof being able to be there help people once the lockdown has ended and we're we're back in action um so we do need to be in a position of being able to respond to that too so um so you're one of our first podcasters is there anything um that you'd particularly like to say in relation to your field of work and how you're going to be working over the next um few months yeah, yeah. well i think um we have a website with resources uh, within it that are pieces of research tools and programs that might help you to do the work you might need to do around child exploitation and under that we we underpin it with a team of people who've got real everyday experience of working in the field of child exploitation in particular so we have um, Kay, who's our police and justice lead, and she's developed, she's, she's been learning from national exploitation practice for a number of years, having come from a regional organised crime unit previously. And she's developed tools such as the Disruption Toolkit for perpetrators. She hosts an online forum for police officers so they can ask questions and look for solutions to problems around investigation or prosecution or anything like that they, they may have. So she has an incredible mind, doesn't she, Sheila? She's incredible, yes. Yeah, she is, definitely. We have Steve Bagley, who was previously involved in education, and he's an absolute whiz at kind of getting people to rethink their cultural attitudes and how they, particularly how they perceive children and young people 16 to 18 and moving into adulthood and those services that don't automatically come into play for a young person that's 18 and leaving children's services and that transition into adult services. Mm. And then I think the work that Kev and Bina are doing and that is following a piece of research that we got involved with across eight countries looking at abuse in sport and how that affects young people. I think it's important to say that we just, I just would not employ somebody that hasn't walked the walk and talked the talk and knows the difficulties that practitioners face when dealing with this because it is complex when you come to sort it out. That's vital, isn't it? I mean, most our trustees have all had experience of, well, all of them have had experience in different disguises in relation to understanding the impact of abuse and neglect or physical harm in the wider contents. And it, you're right, you need to have known it, understand it, to be able to be passionate about making that change, which is very much the ethos of, of our association. To actually translate that, you have to have a passion and drive. And people always say that it's a really depressing subject, but actually it's not when you get it right. If people are well informed, to actually know that you've changed the direction of someone's life is really powerful, isn't it? I think so as well, yes. If you can take what you've learned from children, young people, parents and practitioners at ground level and take that the same as you and I do to national decision-making policy arenas 
and you see that translated into the guidance and everything else that they put out, then that is really, really changing the way society deals with some of this. Yeah, because you can make, you can put a face to it, you can put a child's voice, or you can share a really live example of how you've made a difference, can't you? Yeah, sharing local practice into regional, into national, is that whole idea of prevention and disruption, partners working together, sharing practice, and it's life-changing journeys for so many people, isn't it? It is, it is. So... In the current climate, which we're finding very difficult, what are your biggest challenges that you're facing at the moment? The biggest challenge, we've got a, a large health membership that's bigger than the other areas such as social care, education and police. And of course, what we found is people that safeguarding is their day job because of their clinical experience of being redeployed or unable to work because obviously you have some people with medical needs that can't be doing what they were doing. So we've got a, a sort of a, a, a swing situation at the moment. We've got people that are at home that want access to podcasts and training and CPD. And then we have other people that want supervision, mentoring and discussions. You think of what we've done in the past, it's been face-to-face -face training. So having podcasts like this will give people the access to professionals as we plan to do different podcasts throughout the next few weeks where people will get the opportunity to talk about their field of work just to broaden that horizon as i said because it's a, a situation that isn't going to go away so it's multifaceted in relation to the challenges that the professionals are going to be facing but there still needs to be that multi-agency response doesn't there definitely definitely yes so we're linking in with some national networks to actually hear their voice really but it's the pressure of the frontline changes just to give you an example we're going to be doing a podcast about foster carers which doesn't necessarily link with safeguarding but of course children that are ending up in care through bereavement and if they have parents that have covid that have sadly passed away you then have children that are misplaced and so there's lots of people wanting guidelines and direction in relation to how to cope with these situations. So that's just one example. And we'll be doing a podcast in relation to that. But it's the ever shifting sands for all our members in relation to where they stand, where they can still get this advice and where they can talk about different complex issues that are coming up that are not run of the mill, as well as still wanting to hear how they can cope with the day job. So, for example, serious case reviews, now partnership learning, they are going to still be taking place. We still have children die at the hands of their parents. So there will still be these rapid reviews. And it's about making sure that we can give advice and support and direction, which is going to be one of our webinars that we're going to be holding. So some of the information such as that and suicide, we're going to think of how we can do it differently. So we're going to be shifting from face-to-face -face training to webinar online and our, our Pacific group that supports partnership learning is going to be recorded and accessible to all because some people aren't going to be able to have the time to take a day out or a, a certain session out because they are working and that covers all professions so we're hoping to actually host on the website they'll be able to buy into these webinars and can listen at their leisure so that's the biggest change that we're making in attempting to make it more accessible and be led by our members. We're getting them to actually send in 
what do you want to hear about that we can get access to our experts to actually put on a podcast or have that conversation so to make it more membership led and as I say still carry on with some of the conferences and the topics that were top of our list such as suicide and the partnership learning and child exploitation it's just to keep it going really how about yourself Sheila what about your members I think the biggest change that we're seeing is the way that professionals in particular are trying to find creative ways to engage with the young people that they're most concerned about and it's been done across the country in so many different ways just holding multi-agency meetings is now a challenge that we didn't have before and so one of the biggest things that we're doing at the moment is collating all of the ways that people have changed their practice in order to meet the need with a lockdown and that's proving to be really really useful I, I think as well one of the challenges probably for both of us is is membership and its value I think quite often because the practitioners that we work with are very frontline commissioners who probably would sanction a spend on our membership don't always see the value that um, frontline practitioners get from it and that distance between commission and, and delivering a service on the ground can come into play and, and affect our membership and I think that's a, a big issue for us in terms of getting people to understand exactly how much support they can access if they are a member. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to do within Improve Our web pages is to make things far more accessible. And we have seen that some members just have to pay for their own membership, whereas in the past it would have been an organisational membership. And you're quite right, the way things are commissioned, training did sort of drop off the radar. But I can't help thinking after this there's going to be a heavy investment because for all of our key partners still having to cope within safeguarding, there are a lot of senior conversations that are coming out. And in relation to the sort of changing guidelines and expectations of practitioners, they've suddenly realised that this is an area that's under-resourced. And I think your and as organisation can and has done buffer that to a certain extent but we need to be there at the table with the politicians saying this is what we can offer and this is what we can do really robustly which is some of the conversations that we're going to be taking forward because they're identifying key gaps in service support and that's the frontline practitioners that are doing the job they need that supervision that information and the correct policy and guidelines and I think one of the values that we've added to those conversations is, for example, in our Sport England work, we've got um, a, a panel of survivors that are helping Sport England to ensure that their strategic direction around safeguarding is um, heading in the right direction and a critical friend to that. And it's, it, it is down to us individuals within our organisations and our organisations collectively to ensure that young people's and parents' voices are heard um, mm. at those levels so that it's not us, it's not just us saying it. No, that's right. And, and we're, we're responding to what some of our members have asked for. We're doing a whole virtual issue in relation to head trauma 
so that we're responding and saying yes we can still go ahead we can still carry this out and that will support the research that's in car to real life experience from the front line to inform those topics of discussion so as i say we've moved quite quickly in relation to saying this is how we can work um, yeah. because people still need that information and of course it's, it is evidence-based a lot of the conversations that we'll be having but like you say they're also very real because we do make sure that we have the expert by experience as always as a key part of any of the topics that we're discussing as we discussed earlier yeah yeah very important so it would be really interesting to see how we can support each other so what's the key thing that you'd like in relation to a, a, a sort of a partnership working with us i think our ethos is very similar i think our ethos is very similar in terms of just wanting the best response that we can get to p- people in these situations and helping practitioners to to share the learning good and bad for me it's good and bad if you do something that just doesn't work we really need to be sharing that as well so that people know we can learn from it and and i think that's um i think that's the key to certainly our organization and i will guess your own is that it's the safe space for a practitioner to air their concerns and to be honest about not knowing how to approach it what to do and how they might seek support and how we might continue to hold their hand for as long as they need us to in terms of getting it right I think that's the the biggest thing that we share between us and I think there's a massive massive opportunity for us to support one another in terms of ensuring that we can make the best of this platform for those people. And it's making sure we've got the experts in the right place for those questions, as you say, that people perhaps are struggling with, they think they should know the answers, when it's such a broad field that you won't always know those answers. And to actually have another strand that could, you know, in in your world of looking at sexual harm, It's just brilliant for people to be able to go to there to know that they've got that wealth of knowledge and and skill that they can pose the questions. It's keeping that conversation going through all of this, as we said, because it's not going to go away, is it? And we need to come out of it the other side still with a good membership doing the job we're doing, because there isn't really many other organisations that are doing what either of us are doing. No, I totally agree. There are. I feel that the UK is really lucky because having worked with eight countries in Europe on the abuse in sport, they all wished they'd got a network that could pull together all of that tools, resources, training, everything together all in one place. And they were all really envious. They had nothing similar across there. And I think if the UK's got two organisations that, yes. that work yeah. in the same field but offer completely different things, collating all of that information together for people, then aren't we lucky and let's make the most of it. Yeah, I think it's really exciting. I think it's really exciting and I think we can really complement each other. I feel really positive about the future. I feel that, you know, we're we're making it accessible and um, you can harness what's already good and only build on it. Yes, absolutely. And I think we've got so much good between us so many things that we know work for practitioners, so many mechanisms to help them to do their job effectively, 
that actually if we can get that message out to those people at the front line that we're here to help that's a, an important message for us both to carry that's right it's fantastic well I, I think that's been a really positive conversation Sheila and I'm really excited about how we move forward and hopefully in the not too distant future we'll be able to have a joined face-to-face conference again it's been fantastic chatting to you, Wendy, today. It's really, really useful for me as a CEO to be able to share some of the challenges and the things that we're both trying to do with somebody that's like-minded. And I hope this is the beginning of a very long relationship between the two of us. Thank you. No, thank you, Sheila, because it is a lonely field that we work in, isn't it? And to be able to have those like joining of minds, it's, it's really empowering. And to, to meet someone who's just as passionate and enthusiastic about the work that we do, which isn't always pleasant. So look after yourself, Sheila, and thank you for everything you're doing. And as I say, I look forward to our combined efforts in the future. It's been lovely. Thank you. Stay safe. Stay safe. If there are any specific topics you want to discuss in future episodes, email us at hello at aocpp.org.uk. And if you'd like more information about the Association of Child Protection Professionals, please visit our website at childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk. Thank you, Wendy Thurigood, Association of Child Protection Professionals Chair.